This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Glad you could join us here to start the week. We are in a uh, a new studio. <laughs> new studio. I'm in the same place. The studio is still in my home, but we, uh, my wife and I did some uh, rearranging this weekend, and uh, we have moved my office and... Uh, it's uh it's a brighter a brighter feel a brighter office it's uh should be fun i don't think I, I, listen i'm still going to be uh i'm <laughs> it's not going to change me but uh i'm happy to uh, to be down we're actually we actually moved downstairs so all i have to figure out now is the whole lighting thing because this has more windows and uh so i'll i'll, I'll figure it out we'll get there uh all right we got uh, lots of sports stuff to get to this morning but i just before <laughs> before we start that so I, I, as I, as everybody knows, that's listened to this show for the last almost three years now. I get up every morning. I watch the news. I watch the Today Show. The two lead stories on the Today Show this morning are Harry and Meghan. That was the the lead story was about British royals. I, and then the second story was about the governor of New York. So I said I I turned to Barb. She's on vacation this week, so she was home and. I turned to Barb and I said, so let me get this straight. The top two stories, the biggest news we have in this country right now that the Today Show is going to start with are about two people that aren't even United States citizens and about how there's a, it's a family squabble because that's essentially what it is. And, uh, you know, another guy that uh, another man who seems to feel empowered to, uh, you know, touch women or or make women feel uncomfortable and that's the two biggest things we have it's about how we how we get along with each other that that's the two biggest stories we have in this country right now it's unbelievable the last thing i want to hear about is harry and megan i'm sure they're very nice people and from all accounts you know watching that thing on today's show it sounds like uh it was a nightmare over there i mean to the point where people in the royal family were actually worried about you know, how dark their baby might be because Meghan Markle has, uh, you know, mixed parentage. They were worried that the kid might be too dark. Really? So that's what that's what we're going to lead with. And then Governor Cuomo in New York, who just just doesn't get it. And uh, they're going to make him resign. I think it's just a matter of time. He's he's adamant that he's not going to. But I, I, in this day and age, I don't know how you survive this stuff but i mean don't i mean i guess the good news is that today show didn't lead with the the coronavirus this morning i mean i guess that's good you know matter of fact i think it took him a half an hour to bring up the coronavirus so progress i suppose uh so all right let's uh let's get to sports it's just it's just crazy this whole thing with prince harry and Meghan markle why why are we spending so much time on that 
you know, I, I said to my Barb, I don't, I don't get the whole fascination with the Royals thing here in the United States. We, we fought a war, uh, 240 years ago to get away from these people. Seriously. We, we, we fought the revolutionary war to separate ourselves from the British monarchy, except for, for whatever reason, they just seem to absolutely fascinate us. I don't get it. I, I really don't. All right, sports, uh, women's basketball, the Big East women's tournament going on, and uh, as expected, it has been a cakewalk for the UConn Huskies to this point. They won their first game on Saturday uh, by 36 against St. John's, and yesterday they beat uh, Villanova by 45. So, situation normal, you might say. I mean, it's just crazy the separation in women's basketball. You know, it's it, there were a lot of really good games in the first and second round in games that did not involve either uh, uh, Marquette or actually even the Marquette semifinal on Sunday was a good one. It was a five-point win over Creighton. But other than that, the games are all blowouts. You know, unless uh, unless it was like seven, uh, an 8-9 game or a 7-10 game, those games were all at least competitive. But, I mean, UConn's going to play Marquette tonight. At 8 o'clock on FS1 for the Big East Championship, they're going to win it. It's no question. It's going to be their 27th conference title uh, since Gino Oriema came there. And, you know, ho-hum. Uh, they win yesterday 84-39. to Krista Williams, great game for UConn, 26 points, and played absolutely stupendous defense. And this is where the game was won. You can say whatever you want about how the UConn women can score a ton of points and they've got all this talent. The best player for Villanova is Maddie Segrist. Maddie Segrist in the game before the semifinal, in the quarterfinal game, had a 30.11 rebound performance against Villanova. 30 points and 11 rebounds. Excuse me, over uh, over DePaul. Kristen Williams guarded her yesterday. Maddie Segrist had three points and four rebounds. She shot one for 10. The UConn defense was spectacular. Kristen Williams uh, helping out down on the post, you know, double teaming, just moving, just a pest. And she was unbelievable. So 26 points for her. She shot 11 for 17. Uh, Paige Becker's a, a ho-hum game for her, 18 points, three rebounds, eight assists. Olivia Nelson, a Dota, 13 points, seven boards. UConn out-rebounded Villanova, 47 to 24. Villanova scored three points in the second quarter. That's all you need to know. I mean, it's just crazy. So uh, they will be crowned the Big East champions tonight, be the number one over, overall seed in the tournament. And then then it's going to be like, please, can we just get to the final four? And so UConn will have some kind of competition. I mean, because it's just, it's just boring. It's boring. Uh, the UConn men finished off their regular season over the weekend as well. They wiped Georgetown out 98-82, to and it wasn't that close. James Booknight, another ridiculous game, 21 points, uh, which it was, by the way, was probably his last game at Gamble Pavilion uh, because it, I will be absolutely shocked if he comes back and he doesn't go into the NBA. He's going to be a lottery pick in the NBA. But uh, 21 points on senior night, and uh, they, they crushed Georgetown. They are the hottest team, one of the hottest teams in the country right now, with the exception of, a, I think the hottest team in the country right now might be Michigan State. Michigan State 
beat Michigan over the weekend, the number two team in the country, after after Michigan State or after Michigan had uh, beaten them the game before, and uh, they came back yesterday and and beat them up pretty good, and Michigan State has also beaten the number four and number five teams in the country over the last couple of weeks. So you know there is no doubt that they are probably the hottest team, but UConn's right up there. Uh, UConn right now be the number three seed in the Big East tournament, which begins on Thursday. UConn will have a bye in the first round. Um, they are uh, uh, at least going to have a chance to uh, to rest their guys a little bit, and uh, you know, and then we'll see. I mean, then it's going to be uh, perhaps Providence College. I would guess that would probably be their their first opponent in the Big East tournament, and it could be setting up a a semifinal game against Creighton, the team that, that they played very well. They lost to him in overtime, and uh, that will be uh, that'll be fun to watch, a lot of fun to watch. So that's where we're at as far as college basketball goes. Um, you know, one other interesting thing, um, talking about college basketball, the WNBA, now normally when you, ex- when you uh, use up all your eligibility and you want to... Uh, go into the draft. You don't have to declare that. You're just you're just eligible for the draft. Um, but now, if you are draft eligible, and in the WNBA is a little bit different because in the WNBA, you have to actually finish school or be 22 years of age before you can get drafted. There's no one and dones in the WNBA. Now, you could make a case... That you know, if the WNBA want, or if, or if a woman's basketball player, let's say Paige Beckers for UConn, who is you know the player of the year in the Big East, is going to be one of the uh, maybe the player of the year in the country, or at least in the top two or three. If she decided after her freshman year she wanted to join the NBA or the WNBA, and she wanted to to change things because right now she wouldn't be eligible under WNBA rules. If she decided to sue the WNBA. I I would be willing to bet you that that is a case that she would win. Now nobody has challenged that yet, but and I don't understand why the rules are different for women and that's my point here. By the way, this is National Women's Day. So on National Women's Day, it would be natural to question, well if guys can go one and done, why can't the women? You know, I I'm just curious, you know, uh, they have strict rules for underclassmen entering the draft. Um, now it might be where the courts could say, well, you know, the WNBA is a private corporation and they have the right to, to say who does or does not become a member of their, of their organization. However, look at what happened with the Boy Scouts. We now have females in the Boy Scouts, right? Uh, look what's happened to a lot of exclusive male clubs where women have sued for the right to join a all-men's club and have won. So, you you know, it just it makes you wonder what would happen if somebody actually challenged that. Nobody has yet. But anyway, so the league has now said that for a woman to be considered for this season's draft they have to actually opt into the draft. They have to tell the WNBA they want to be drafted within 48 hours 
after the end of the National Women's Basketball Tournament. Um, and uh, if the yeah, if the women's playing in the Final Four, they have 48 hours after the last game to let the league know. Um, in the past, like I said, if you've run out of eligibility, you're automatically entered. What's changed things, I think, is because the NBA or the uh, NCAA has given players an extra year of eligibility because of the coronavirus pandemic. So one of the reasons why, for instance, Sailor Poffenberger, a freshman at UConn, joined the team midseason. She graduated high school early, came to UConn uh, in January, and has actually appeared in a few games. And the reason that she did that is because it doesn't count against her four years of eligibility. The NBA has given everybody a pass. So, you know, if if you're a senior on a team this year and you decide you want to go to grad school, theoretically you could stay at that school and play another year, which is why the WNBA, I think, is telling people they have to opt in. Because just because you're a senior, it doesn't mean that you necessarily uh, are going to be wanting to go to the draft. You might want to play another year in college. Who knows? Um, so just – uh, just I saw that yesterday. It was kind of like, well, that's interesting. But uh, I'm still waiting for the day, and I don't think we're far away from it, where there is going to be a woman who will challenge that. You know, I, I, look, I, I mean, if, if, if it's good enough for the guys, it's good enough for the girls. You know, and, uh, and you know, frankly, with the disparity – in women's basketball right now, where the ha- the difference between the haves and the have-nots, um, it would be I think it would be devastating to women's basketball if that happened. I just don't know if there's enough uh, talent across the board to get away with it, where it seems they're able to get away with it in in, in men's college basketball for whatever reason. So, all right, uh, baseball, the Boston Red Sox yesterday again. We don't want to get too carried away. We know it's preseason. Garrett Richards made his second appearance of the spring for the Red Sox. And he was not good. Uh, Two innings, three hits, four runs. He walked four guys. He struck out two. This guy is having a hard time finding the plate in his two outings. And again, we don't want to push the panic button. It's two outings. He's pitched, you know, uh, four innings. So let's, let's not go crazy. However... You know, he's faced 22 batters this spring. 12 of them have gotten on base. Six of them have scored. He's walked six guys and struck out three in spring training. All right. So, and this is a guy who right now is projected to be your number three starter. (laughs) If you are the Red Sox, it's a little bit concerning. Now, you know, Alex Cora said he's not worried about it. You know, the good news is is that Richard came Richards came off and he was he was healthy and and I don't care. You know, uh here's what I know. His next outing there needs to be some progress. I mean, they ramped these guys up so you would think, you know, coming up here in uh in 4 or 5 days when he pitches again, you know, it's going to be a situation where he's going to now be looking to go three or four innings because guys are starting to stretch themselves out. And if uh, if there's no progress made and he's still kind of doing what he's doing now, if you're the Red Sox, you got to be really worried. 
if this is your number three starter. And on the other side of the ledger yesterday, Charlie Morton pitched for Atlanta, and as, as Pete Abraham pointed out in the Boston Globe this morning, Charlie Morton was a guy that a lot of people thought the Red Sox would try to hi, uh, try to sign. You know, he was only looking for a one-year deal. He's a guy that's got ties to New England. He went to high school here in the state of Connecticut. So, you know, there was a lot of thought that the Red Sox would be in on him. Well, they weren't. He signed with the Atlanta Braves, a one-year deal for $15 bucks. Now, you know, again, it's, it's, uh, it's $5 million more than Garrett Richards. And I don't know if that $5 million was a difference or not, but Charlie Morton yesterday goes out and throws three innings, strikes out three, walks one, two hits, no runs, and that's what $5 bucks will get you. So, uh, you know, and the other part with Richards, and, and this is the reason why we need to not push the panic button as much as I'm displeased with what we saw yesterday, is we have to understand that over the last three seasons, this guy has only made 29 starts. It's a guy that, you know, had elbow surgery, you know, missed some time and is working his way back and, you know, spent last year in San Diego's bullpen and didn't pitch a lot, didn't pitch in high leverage situations. And so this is a guy that is still trying to work his way back. So we have to, we have to take that into consideration. But it's still, if you're the Red Sox and this is your number three starter, you're worried. Now, uh, conversely, let's you know look at Erod, right? Eduardo Rodriguez didn't pitch at all last year because of the myocarditis after contracting the coronavirus. So he makes his first start um, in you know over a year and throws two and two thirds innings in his first start. And was great. You know, I mean, so he struck out two. He gave up a run and a couple of hits, but he looked sharp. Garrett Richards looks lost. That's the difference. So, you know, and and so if you're the Red Sox, to me, you know, your search for starting pitching can't be done. You know, and I don't know what's still out there. There, I, I was, to be honest with you, I was hoping the Red Sox would take a run at Jake Odorizzi. Well, that hope went away this weekend. Odorizzi signed a deal with the Houston Astros. And uh, he will step into the Astros rotation, especially with their, uh, their ace, Framber Valdez, fracturing a finger. Uh, on his pitching hand, don't know how long he's going to go out or be out, but Odorizzi signed a two-year deal with an option for 2023. Don't know how much money it was for uh, because it hasn't officially been, you know, signed on the dotted line yet, but it is it is happening. So, I mean, this is a guy that pitched well for the Rays for, for four years, uh, pitched pretty well for the Minnesota Twins, and I was kind of hoping Boston would take a run at him, but uh, those hopes <laughs> have been crushed. I watched the uh, Yankee game yesterday, or a good portion of it anyway. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the other Red Sox thing I wanted to get to uh, is Xander Bogarts. They're hoping that they might be able to have Bogarts back in the lineup for the first time this spring by the weekend. However, it will be at, as a designated hitter. He is still dealing with a sore shoulder. 
Now, they're saying there is nothing structurally wrong with the shoulder, that it was the fact that he wasn't able to train properly in Aruba during the offseason because of the coronavirus pandemic. And so when he came out and started trying to throw in earnest that uh, he strained the shoulder a little bit and, um, and, and they said, look, that, you know, he, they were proactive about it. As soon as he noticed the soreness, he told them and they shut him down. So, but again, if you're the Red Sox, you know, let's hope this isn't something that becomes a nagging problem all season long. Now, one of the other things the Red Sox did as some insurance, they signed Danny Santana uh, over the weekend. He's going to make uh, $1.75 million if he makes the team, and there's another million dollars in incentives. And uh, if he opens in AAA, he gets hundred grand. Uh, but this is a guy um, that could be helpful. Now, he had surgery on his right elbow, a UCL repair in his right elbow in September. Um, they didn't think he was going to be ready until the end, uh, till late March. So he probably won't be ready for the start of the season. But this is a guy that in 2019 for the Texas Rangers had 57 extra base hits. Uh, played 130 games, started seven different positions. He's a guy that can play shortstop. They have Kike Hernandez that can play shortstop. Uh, so, you know, they have options if Bogart's not ready. But let's hope this isn't something that becomes a chronic problem this year. Uh, one other note from yesterday's game, by the way, uh, Matt Barnes pitched. His first appearance of the spring looked really good. Uh, struck out a couple of guys in, in a scoreless inning. And... Uh, including Ronald Lacuna Jr. You know, and the strikeouts have never been a problem for Barnes. What I want to see from Matt Barnes this year is I want to see how about we don't strike out, I mean, we don't walk the ballpark. You know, we don't go three and two to everybody. We don't pitch the ninth inning and throw 25, 30 pitches to get out of the ninth inning because we've loaded the bases uh, because we nibble so much. That's the thing with him that is absolutely maddening. You know, so if, if if we can get him back to throwing strikes, you know, because the thing with him is he goes 0-2 on a lot of guys. And then as soon as he gets to 0-2, he starts screwing around instead of just going after these guys and punching them out. So, uh, but it was a good sign. First appearance looked pretty good. Uh, as I said, I watched the, Red so or the uh, Yankee game yesterday, and the topic of the entire conversation with the during the Yankee game was about Gary Sanchez. Now, I understand that it's the Yes Network, and I understand that you know they are a shill for the, the Yankees the same way that Nesson is a shill for the Boston Red Sox. So they're going to you know, want to toe the company line, but everybody is talking about Gary Sanchez as if he's going to be an MVP candidate this year and, and you know, and you know all the work he did and how he's back and you know everybody needs to stop dumping on him and yada 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 and they and they keep talking about the way he's hitting the ball and you know he uh you know he had a single yesterday um he's had uh, a couple other hits this spring i mean he, and look he struggled last year he hit 147 and 156 at bats i get all that the problem with Gary Sanchez to me has never been his hitting. I don't worry about his hitting. This is a guy that has shown that he can hit the ball eight miles. 
you know, and he's somebody that can be a 250, 260 hitter. And as a catcher, if you can get a lot of power and a 250 or 260 average out of your catcher, you'll sign up for that right now. Um, so if, if I'm a Yankee fan, I don't really care about his hitting that much. I'm not worried about it. What I'm worried about, if I'm a Yankee fan, is his defensive struggles. You could talk all you want about what, his, what he's hitting. Gary Sanchez is one of the worst defensive catchers in Major League Baseball. I have never seen a guy let so many pitches get past him, so many pass balls, uh, and even some wild pitches that have been charged to the pitchers that there are other catchers that would knock that ball down, wouldn't let it get past them. You know, to me, that's the concern. If I'm the Yankees, I'm worrying more about his defense than I am his offense. The offense will come. You know, and him hitting 147 last year, who cares? All right? I mean, how many guys in Major League Baseball struggled last year in that 60-game season? They had trouble adjusting to the tempo of the season, the way they had to ramp up quickly. So, to me, if I'm the Yankees, I couldn't care less. But if he doesn't improve that defense, you know, Again, it's showing that this isn't a guy that we can have in there in, in key situations, in key games, because he's more likely than not to let a ball get past him to the backstop, and then, you know, we got guys running all over the bases. But that's uh, what they talk about. And uh, what uh, they should have been talking about was the guy that's um, like a million years old that signed late, and Brett Gardner got in the game and hit a grand slam yesterday. <laughs> they shut out the Phillies 4 nothing. Great, uh, but... Uh, you know, again, let's not get too caught up. Excuse me, with the whole Gary Sanchez thing. Until he shows me that he has figured out the defensive part of that, I, I you know, that's because to me, that's the only thing that. that no, I shouldn't say the only thing. That's the biggest thing that matters. Look, all those years that Yadier Molina, you know, wasn't hitting great. Now, you know, there were years that he hit two forty, two fifty, but the fact that. He was the best defensive catcher. The guy, they were afraid to run on him. He didn't let balls get past him. That's what makes a quality catcher. You know, offense is nice, but you need to be able to do the things to prevent runs so that you don't have to get up to the plate and have to try to hit the ball eight miles to make up for the run that you just allowed to uh, score in the top of the inning. That's the stuff that he needs to work on. 32 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 34 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a uh, Monday morning. You know, um, I just was thinking, and uh, when I was mentioning the, the, the show, I the Today Show this morning, and they didn't talk about the coronavirus for a half an hour, and they finally did. And what were they talking about? Idiots. <laughs> Idiots is what they were talking about. What's going on down in Florida? Spring break. Kids everywhere. On the beaches, in the bars, on the streets. No masks, no social distancing, no nothing. Just going crazy. University of Colorado. Huge parties to the point where they had to get the SWAT team out there to try to break the thing up. We've got, you know, a bike week in Daytona. They're expecting 400,000 people down there. Bars are open, 60% capacity. But guess, and they say masks are strongly encouraged. Guess what? Everything they showed, not a mask in sight. 
idiots. You know, we've got an idiot governor in Texas, an idiot governor in Mississippi, an idiot governor in Arizona doing away with mask mandates. They showed people that were uh, having mask burning parties and they had little kids, five, six year old kids throwing masks into these burn barrels. That's a great lesson. Hey, there's a pandemic going on, but screw it. Go for it. I mean, idiots. That, so that's what they showed. Well, the idiots are in Major League Baseball as well, and once again, it is the Cleveland Indians. Uh, they had two players, Jose Ramirez and Fran Mil Reyes, that have had to be isolated from their team because they broke COVID-19 protocols. These guys are professionals getting paid tons of money, and even they are idiots. They're out in spring training in Arizona. They went out to dinner. They violated the team and Major League Baseball rules. No masks. Out in public. They've been told not to do it. And so now they have been sent to their temporary homes as uh, now the league has to decide when these guys are going to be eligible to rejoin the team. Fran Mil Reyes, by the way, a, he is a habitual idiot. He had the same problem last year where he got suspended and had to be, you know, isolated because of doing this. I mean, what are you doing? You know, you know, last year we had spring training had to be stopped because of the pandemic, because people were doing stupid things. You know, friend Reyes last year went to a 4th of July party. You know, they had, remember Mike Clevenger and Zach Plesek, their two pitchers last year, both had to go on the restricted list because they went out to dinner when they were in Chicago and then lied about it. They ended up trading Clevenger. You know, so idiots are everywhere. I mean, even the professional idiots that are getting paid a lot of money can't get it right. You know, I, you know, and, and I don't want to be, you know, we have all these doctors on, on television now, but oh my God, there could be another huge, spike. and you know what, if there's another huge spike because of these morons that are running around, you know, down in Florida and, and, and doing all these things without masks on and, you know, you know, I'm at a point where I don't have any sympathy for these people because, you know, I don't want to buy into, oh, my God, it's going to be Armageddon again. You know, with the vaccines rolling out, you would like to think that that will help mitigate it some. But we're still so early in the process that, that we're jumping the gun. Just wait another month or two. Good Lord. But, yeah, so the idiots are in Major League Baseball as well. By the way, my I'm getting my vaccine shot on uh, Saturday. Uh, you know, and it's really weird. Up here, I mean, I don't know if it's the same around the rest of the country. I suppose, I, I imagine it is because I've seen a lot of things on the national news about people saying about how difficult it was to get the vaccine. I, I, I got an appointment in a week. I mean, it was a week away. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I had to wait six months to get in there to get my shot. I signed up uh, and I had an appointment with a week. And by the way, it's a quarter of a mile from my house. I don't even have to go anywhere practically to get it. So, you know, if and that's my point, I guess, is, is you know, just it's not that difficult. Just be diligent. And if you wait another month, 
you know, maybe we're at, you know, maybe half the country. They're saying that we're getting 3 million shots in arms every day in this country. Well, you know, if that's the case, you know, and I assume that means a combination of first and second shots, but if that's the case, you know, we're only a month or two away from getting to a point where we can get that herd immunity they said we need. You know, the, the president is saying that he thinks we'll have enough vaccines to start getting shots in the arms from everybody that wants one by May. Not that far away, but, you know, here in the United States, don't take away my rights. All right, let's get back to uh, real sports. Uh, I did not watch this yesterday, uh, but uh, uh, Marcus Stroman made his second appearance of the spring uh, for the New York Mets. Um, It didn't go as well as his first one. His first time out, he pitched a couple of scoreless innings. But he went three innings yesterday, uh, struck out two, gave up three hits. Uh, walked the guy, gave up a couple of runs, but it was really hard to gauge. I saw I saw highlights of this. It's really hard to gauge um, how good he was because the winds in Florida were blowing 35 miles an hour and, and gusting. I mean, I'm, honest to God, they showed the highlights and the the flags were straight out, and it was not a it was not a like a light breeze. And Stroman even said after the game, um, he threw 52 pitches. He said after the game, he said. You know, the balls that were supposed to be sinkers because of the wind weren't dipping, you know, and they became kind of more like two-seam fastballs, and they, they would they would break a little bit, but they weren't breaking and diving the way that the sinker's supposed to. So, you know, uh, he said it was kind of crazy. But uh, uh, And as far as the rest of the Mets go, uh, Aaron Loop made his second appearance of the spring for the Mets, looked pretty good. Uh, he looks like he's going to be a valuable piece uh, in that bullpen, it ended up in a four-four tie. Who really cares? Um, the biggest thing, I guess, if you're the Mets, that you're a little concerned about. Jeff McNeil played third base yesterday, made three errors. Uh, he only made five errors um, in forty-plus games. So you know he's uh, he's he's struggled a bit here this spring. So if you're the your Mets, maybe you're a little worried about that. Uh, a couple other notes before we move on from spring training this weekend. Shohei Otani made his return to the mound. He had not pitched, uh, obviously, because of that Tommy John surgery in a while um, and thought he might be a little rusty and thought he might take his, you know, kind of ease his way in. Well, uh, he struck out five guys in an inning of two-thirds. He struck, out five, he struck out all five of the outs he got were strikeouts. And, by the way, he was going to ease his way into it. He threw 100 miles an hour. Um, he did allow a run and three hits, a couple of walks. So, you know, he struggled with his command a little bit, but I mean, a guy who had Tommy John surgery in 2018 and worked as a DH last year, they wouldn't let him pitch at all. Uh, he wants to be back to being a two-way player this year and, uh, <laughs> looked pretty good. Looked pretty good. I mean, a hundred miles an hour in your first time out. Um, and, uh, uh, Bryce Harper homered in his first at bat of the spring. And then got a single in his second at bat, and that was the end of the day for him. So he looks like uh, he's ready to roll. Um, Jeremy Jeffers got released yesterday by the Washington Nationals. Don't know why. I mean, it, they, the announcement from the Nationals said they released him for, quote, uh, personal reasons. This is a guy that was expected to be a big part of their bullpen. Uh, he was pretty good for the Cubs last year. He was 4-1 and one with a 1-5-4 ERA and eight saves for the Cubs last year. Now, I hate, you know, you hate to, you, you hate to think this, but you wonder 
if there is something going on with him um, in terms of substance abuse. This is a guy that a number of years ago was suspended twice for violating the minor league drug treatment and prevention program. You wonder if that doesn't have something to do with it. This is also a guy that has had to deal with uh, uh, severe cases of uh, anxiety. So you wonder if this isn't more about his mental health than anything else. When they say personal reasons, I mean, who knows? But um, I, I hope it's not substance abuse. But it obviously is something that gives you a little bit of pause. Uh, and the Seattle Mariners' top prospect, Jared Kalenic, uh got hurt. He strained his knee, uh, his left knee, and he is there's he's going to be out for a while. They don't know exactly how long. Look, the kid's 21 years old, just hit his first home run of the spring earlier this week. Uh, and this is the guy, one of the two guys uh, for the Seattle Mariners that got caught up in the, that whole thing with their CEO, Kevin Mather, talking about how they were going to purposely manipulate uh, when they called up Kalenic to make sure they got an extra year of control. Again, we know teams do this all over Major League Baseball, but it's been one of those you know secrets that nobody talks about. I mean, everybody knows it, but nobody talks about it. Well, Kalenic and his agent blasted the Mariners uh, following that uh, report uh, and the uh, and the expose about what Mather had said. And I think it was to a point where the Mariners knew that they were going to have to bring Kalenic up. They were going to have to. St- if, he, if he showed in spring training that he was ready to go, I don't think they were going to be able to start him in the minor leagues just because of what Mather had done. Well, now that may have become easier for Seattle with this knee injury. Um, you know, that would be a, a perfect excuse for them to say, well, hey, look, we're going to start him in the minors, make sure that knee is sound, and, and then we'll bring him up later. So I think, uh, unfortunately for Kalenic, that injury just gave the Seattle Mariners a very convenient out. It's 46 minutes past the hour. We're going to take another break. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. By the way, uh, happy birthday to Jim Rice, uh, Major League Baseball Hall of Famer, uh, MVP of the Boston Red Sox in 1978, uh, 68 years old today. He's now a uh, a commentator for the uh, Red Sox pre- and post-game shows. and uh, A guy that uh, had a reputation as a player of not being very cooperative with the media. Uh, I have to tell you, since he retired, now I didn't deal with him while he was a player. I was... Uh, I was still too young and just kind of cutting my teeth um, in in the uh, sports world uh, as far as being involved with pro sports. But uh, the the few times that I have met him since then couldn't have been more gracious. I mean, just a nice guy. Uh, you know, maybe he, you know, again, he had the reputation as being surly. Uh, but in Boston, you know, unless you're kissing somebody's ass in Boston in the media and and forgive me, I have some friends in the Boston media, but it has seemed to be the case in Boston where if you don't if you if you're not sucking up to these guys or you're not like ready to go have a beer with them, uh, some of them take it personally. I mean, look at the trouble that Ted Williams had, the people that uh, the trouble that Carl Yastrzemski, often contentious relationship with the media. Uh, you know, so, and it's like that in a lot of big cities, you know, same problems in New York with some, you know, with some guys. So, uh, but he, he couldn't have been more gracious in the times I've met him. So uh, happy uh, 68th, uh, Jim Ed Rice. 
Um, Boston Bruins, tough loss yesterday. They lose one nothing to the New Jersey Devils. And, you know, right now this is a Bruins team that is struggling to find their offense, struggling to find ways to win. Kyle Palmieri with the only goal of the game uh, with about four and a half minutes to play, beats Tuka Rask, and uh, the Bruins can't score. The Bruins had 40 shots on goal, 40, and couldn't get one um, past Scott Wedgwood. And this is a Jersey team that had lost five in a row, but it's also a Jersey team that has owned the Bruins this year. I mean, the Bruins have been one of the best teams in the NHL, and yet they are uh, 0-3-1 against this Devils team. The Bruins have now lost four of the last six games. They went from having the most points in the NHL to being in third place in the Eastern Division uh, and, uh, you know, right now putting themselves in a position. If they don't start playing better, they're going to be middle to bottom of the pack when it comes to the playoffs. Now, this team has a lot of talent. I mean, you don't have guys like David Pasternak and Brad Marchand and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, and not score goals. It's going to happen. But right now, they are in a major funk. Uh, Tuka Rask uh, played pretty well, but for the second straight outing, he has failed to win his 300th career game. Uh, he lost a one-goal game uh, uh, the last time out. So uh, if you're the Bruins, got to be shaking your heads right now. And they have to play an Islanders team on Tuesday, and the Bruins have lost all three meetings against the Islanders this season. So... Uh, Lost four out of six, just lost to a New Jersey team that couldn't get out of its own way, and now you got to play a team that has owned you. So things uh, <laughs> are not looking too rosy uh, for the Boston Bruins. Uh, the good news for Boston, I don't know if you saw this or not, but uh, Brandon Carlo uh, took a shot from uh, Washington Capitals forward uh, Tom Wilson last week. I think it was on Thursday. And... Uh, got a concussion and he has been released from the hospital. Uh, he spent there after uh, taking that hit. Tom Wilson was actually suspended for seven games from that hit. Uh, and, uh, the NHL looked at the video and they said that it, they felt that, that while it was in some respects, you know, a, well, you know, it was weird. They, they can't call it a clean hit and suspend him at the same time. So what they said was, is what separated this from other hits, you know, checks in the game, is that it was direct and significant contact to a defenseless player's face and head, which caused him to, you know, violent impact with the glass. And the other part that plays into this, and make no mistake, this played a huge part. Tom Wilson has been suspended a number of times, you know, and the NHL made a point of saying it, that the, that it was a player with substantial, with a substantial disciplinary record. So there is no doubt that that played a role. Wilson has been suspended five times in his career for cheap hits. Uh, and he's also been fined a couple of other times when he wasn't suspended. So, you know, look, Wilson only has himself to blame for the way that he plays. The difference between like a Tom Wilson and a guy who is just a goon, you know, because there were always players in the NHL that were known as goons. They were there 
to beat the hell out of people. Um, you know, uh, Ty Domi was a perfect example, a guy that he his job was to go in and beat somebody up. What separates Wilson from guys like that is Wilson has some offensive skills. This is a guy that that is a pretty good off, you know, a pretty good player. Um, no, no, the Capitals coach Peter Laviolette not happy. He said he just considered it a hockey hit. Alex Ovechkin was even more blunt. He said that the suspension was a joke, which I'm sure will go over very well uh, with the NHL front office. But when you have Alex Ovechkin saying it, uh, you can get away with it. Um, how about this? How about the uh, the uh, the Golden Knights, the Vegas Golden Knights were staying in a hotel in town, downtown San Jose. And uh, while they were there, they come back from a game to find out that their hotel closed <laughs> during their stay. They, uh, the, the owners had filed for bankruptcy. So while they were there, all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> they're there for their morning skate. They go back to their hotel. They find out that the Fairmont Hotel has closed. They have, uh, they have debts of like hundreds of millions of dollars, and they just closed. So now <laughs> San Jose suddenly had to, or the Vegas suddenly had to find a new hotel to stay in. That's just that's crazy. Uh, one other quick hockey note, a sad note. Uh, Mark Pavlich died this weekend. Mark Pavlich was 63 years old. He was on the U.S. Olympic hockey team in 1980 that beat the Russians, that stunned the Russians. He had the assist on Mike Arruzzioni's winning goal. Uh, he played in the NHL for... A number of years, he played uh, five years with the Rangers, also played a little bit for the Minnesota North Stars and the San Jose Sharks. Had 137 goals, 192 assists in 355 games. He was an effective player. Uh, once scored five goals in a game, as a matter of fact, against the Hartford Whalers uh, in 1983 when the Rangers put up 11 against the Whalers. Uh, but he passed away at a treatment center for mental illness. Uh, Pavlich's life the last few years has been... Um, kind of spiraling downhill. And it really all started in 2012 when his wife died in an accidental fall. Uh, a couple of years later, he sold his gold medal for a quarter of a million dollars. And uh, he recently got into a scrap a couple of years ago with an, a, uh, a neighbor in Minnesota. And because uh, Pavlich thought the guy had spiked his beer, so he was charged with felony assault. And the judge actually ruled that he was incompetent to stand trial because he was mentally ill and dangerous. So uh, they sent him for medical treatment, and he died while undergoing uh, that mental health treatment. Uh, the manner and the, you know the, the cause of death have not been released, but just uh, just a sad ending to a guy who was a a special special player. Uh, one other quick note before we get out of here: Blake Griffin. Uh, the disgruntled player from the uh, Detroit Pistons. They've been trying to ship him out of town. Well, they finally uh, released him. He got a buyout from the uh, Pistons, and he has signed with the New Jersey Nets, or the Brooklyn Nets, I should say. Um, Guy's a six-time All-Star, uh, and he's averaged over 20 points a game in his career. He's only averaging about 12 this year for Detroit before they shut him down. Uh, but he joins a team that's loaded. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. Uh, and uh, they're only a half a game out of first place, and now they get Blake Griffin, and 
that's a Nets team that's very, very small. Now they get a huge guy like Griffin in the middle, and they don't need him to score a lot. They just need him to be a presence in the middle. I'll tell you what, I mean, there's no question that, that Brooklyn has to be right now the odds-on favorite to win the Eastern Conference, and that would be a great matchup. Uh, with the Lakers or, or the Jazz, whoever t- happens to come out of the West. But uh, Blake Griffin joining uh, the Brooklyn Nets. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow in the morning Excuse me, with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We've got high school basketball coming up tonight at 5.30. Uh, girls basketball, it'll be Old Saybrook at Cromwell. I'll be on the call. Hope you can join us for that one at 5.30. We leave you this morning on National Women's Day with some music from Lori Morgan. What part of no? Have a great day. We'll see you on Tuesday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.